Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back. Once again, we're back with Course Summit Day 2, Real Estate, the Jobs Act, and Liquidity. This afternoon, the conversation is going to get very, very fun. Uh, we have some great speakers coming up, led with uh, Peter Danico and his fellow colleagues. They're going to be discussing fractionalization in real estate and everything that has to deal with it. So, Peter, the floor is yours. Enjoy. Hey, thanks, Oscar. Are we are we on here? First well, off, I, I believe we are. I don't think your camera's on, but that's okay. You know, I'll come in and, uh, you know, of course, the technical difficulty needed to happen sooner or later. So something must have happened there. All right. So we'll... Yes, we are on. Turn on your camera there, Mr. Danico. Probably we're, got too many buttons to play with. We're going to turn this on again, everybody. Just bear with us for one second. As we jump into the session, the camera was on, and we're going to get back on track here. All right. Get going. All right. Hey, I'd like to welcome our audience, and I'd especially like to welcome this, uh, what I believe, an extremely engaging panel. So first, a couple of quick introductions here so everybody uh, has a bit of color on who's who. Um, from our panel. So we've got uh, Tyler Hartraff from uh, Partner in Blockchain Law. So Blockchain Law, a very specific category that we're going to be talking about. And uh, speaker, author, uh, member of the Blockchain Association. And Tyler's firm is dedicated to cutting edge smart contracts, which we're going to touch on in blockchain technology. Uh, welcome, Tyler. I want to introduce Laura Pamatian, CEO of Height Zero Real Estate. Um, one of the oldest advisory firms in the blockchain space focused on real estate um, and a focus on leveraging and modernizing uh, artificial intelligence and blockchain technology and everything that uh, that relates to real estate and quarterbacks lots of companies in this regard. And uh, last but certainly not least, uh, from the broker-dealer side of the equation, I'd like to uh, welcome aboard Richard Johnson, CEO of Texture Capital. Uh, one of the few companies actually licensed by FINRA as a broker-dealer of digital asset securities, um, so certainly on the uh, cutting edge of things, as well as uh, operates, uh, Texture operates a fully registered SEC alternative trading system. We're going to touch on that to match investors and buyers and sellers. Uh, so everybody, welcome aboard. Um, jumping in, the, the term we're talking about today is tokenization, fractionalization, a lot of these, uh, these so-called buzzwords, uh, hopefully we can give them some color and some clarity today. Um, my experience uh, over the last few years is pretty much, I get comments daily from clients such as, can I tokenize this? Uh, well, we live in a permission blockchain environment at Core Connects. Um, so kind of everything we do is a little bit about tokenization, but first and foremost, it's about the regulations and compliance. Um, and depending on the regulations and the securities being offered, I think we'll jump into uh, the narrative and the conversation on what is that all about? And, I, and I'm going to jump over to Tyler right away uh, from the legal perspective. Um, Tyler, from the legal side of things, we hear the term token chain, to blockchain, tokens. It's all on the news. Um, Give me your definition of tokenization and, and how that relates to a security, because it's uh, certainly with the FTX fiasco and the ICO world, 
those are two different worlds. And maybe you can give us your uh, the legal insight on that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, to your point, there's not very much that can't be tokenized, but that doesn't necessarily you have something that should be tokenized. And so there's a lot of layers uh, to peel back as far as tokenization and exactly uh, what we're speaking about. We're usually referring to trying to determine what the underlying asset is. Um, so, you know, in, in the FTX scenario, uh, an FTT token uh, might represent ownership to a particular uh, indebtedness. And so um, that would be a token that represents one underlying asset, whereas a security token might represent uh, an equity stake in a company, a share of stock, uh, an LL, a limited partnership interest, a limited liability company interest. And so when we're working with clients, that is the first order of business uh, with respect to digital securities issues, identifying the underlying asset that will be tokenized and then looking to determine should we tokenize that? Why do we want to tokenize that? Um, obviously, there's a lot of benefits to tokenization, mainly liquidity um, or the anticipation that there will be liquidity for a particular asset uh, once the lockup restrictions have, have been lifted. Um, but there are a lot of considerations that, that come into play. There's a lot, of a lot of regulations to be aware of. And, you know, that's what we're here to work through clients with. Um, just because we have a token doesn't mean the securities laws go out the windows, out the window, doesn't mean the tax laws go out the window. Um, additionally, there's Investment Company Act regulations. There's Investment Advisor Act regulations that, that needs, clients need to be aware of. And so all of these um, regulatory frameworks play into the analysis uh, and must be considered with respect to tokenization because we're really talking about a technology overlay, not necessarily something that um, you know can can skirt the securities laws. In some circumstances, a token does represent um, something that is potentially other than a security, potentially not an investment contract. So lots of token issuers out there that are generating tokens as a means of governance a means of an economic incentive for a particular protocol or ecosystem or, or layer solution. Um, and so in that context, you might have a, a token that maybe it's sold as a security initially for capital raising purposes. Maybe it's um, supposed to eventually represent a governance, uh, a governance token and, and not necessarily a receipt to profits or any earnings of the issuer. And in that circumstance, the question becomes very muddy as far as is this security, is this not? And so, like I said, a lot of layers. Okay, a lot of layers. You, you hit a lot of points, which you touched on regulation, you touched on assets, you talk, touched on liquidity. So let, let's, let's dive in a little deeper when it comes to real estate in particular. Um, Laura, your experience from a real estate perspective, you've been involved in the real estate market for a significant part of your life. You've jumped into this, whole concept. And we've had lots of conversations about, hey, I want to tokenize this particular real estate. What are some of the key conversations that you've had and maybe some of the friction points or misunderstandings around real estate and tokenization? Yeah, I think, thanks, Peter. And I think that, you know, with tokenization, we say that word and people, there's different um, people that will think different things, right? So tokenization, of real estate in the aspect of creating a non-fungible token to transfer real estate assets, right, in their entirety. So that would be one form or, or one interpretation of that. Another is to tokenize existing 
equity, right? The asset has equity um, and we're able to create the option of liquidity by tokenizing shares of that equity and also through raising capital, right? Which is a whole nother ballgame. And like we keep saying, um, the the securities law, the the framework that's in place is adequate, right? For raising capital and then tokenizing that security, right? Um, I think people say security tokens and tokenized securities and don't realize that there's a difference. So I think there's there's an issue there as well. Can you elaborate on that, on that a little bit? You said security, security tokens and tokenized securities, um, whether you or somebody wants to weigh in on that a little bit. Yeah. So I, you know, when we say security tokens, we refer a lot of times to tokenized securities when we're talking about real estate. But when um, in, in other aspects of the space, a security token could be uh, your access to, say, my bank account. Right. I have a security token that gives me access to my bank account. It's in, in the terms of safety, right? Security in the terms of safety um, rather than a security, right? A uh, financial security, which is tokenized securities. So, okay. Okay. So, so, so there's again, a lot of definition that, that, that revolves around the concept of tokens and the concept of tokenization. So let me, let me ask, uh, let me ask Richard from this perspective. So as a broker dealer, and when it comes to tokenized securities, what do you see in today's specific to the real estate? And do you begin with the asset being the real estate or the project you're going after? Or do you begin with the regulations? Or do you begin with who are you trying to sell it to? Or do you begin with the corporate structure? Um, there's a lot of pieces there. And where do, you, where do you begin and what's your experience on that? Yeah, thank you, Peter. I just want to kind of touch back on to something that Tyler was talking about, where, you know, in the realm of tokenization, there's lots of different tokens out there, DAO tokens, uh, uh, NFTs, and so forth. The thing about real estate, when it comes to real estate tokenization, unless you're talking about putting the actual uh, title on blockchain, pretty much everything is going to be a security of some kind. Um, so that's, uh, you know, that cleans up some of the confusion, I hope because you know, it, it, it meets the four prongs of the Howey test. It's an investment of money based on the efforts of others with an expectation of profit, et cetera. Um, and I think that's what people are used to when they're investing in real estate is you know, they, they, they see the term sheets, they have a you know, prep return of this and the investment of that and so forth. And what we're doing, <clears throat> what we're doing in the tokenization space is essentially kind of replicating that in token form. So we, we, we kind of mirror a lot of the kind of the PDF documents that we're used to seeing put that into a token form, put it on the blockchain. Um, and I think one of the big advantages you get from that is, you know, first of all, you know, a lot more transparency. Um, the, you know, the thing about real estate is it's a very large market, but it's not very transparent necessarily. So we can improve that there. It's also typically not very liquid. A lot of, you know, you know, fund structures are normally five to seven years and some real estate projects can last longer than that. So what we aim to do as a broker dealer um, is help provide liquidity for these types of projects. And uh, we're able to do that by leveraging the blockchain technology. So we employ, you know, first of all, we have a complete record of securities ownership and transaction history, and we can imply, employ smart contracts to, you know, you know, in, in, you know programmatically enforce compliant rules such, such as a one-year holding period, if it's a Reg D offering, 
uh, maximum number of shareholders, which could be 99 if it's an LLC, or it could be, you know, it could be 2,000 if it's a C Corp, and so forth. And then, you know, by having this kind of digital layer and these programmatic smart contracts, we're really able to kind of improve the workflow, streamline liquidity onto our ATS, uh, and enable secondary trading. Um, you're asking kind of what we're, you know, you know, what, what how do we approach the space? Um, for us as a broker, we're here to serve our clients. So we, we, you know, we look at different structures, and normally the client comes to us with you know, a framework in, in mind and we'll kind of advise them and consult with them and, uh, and help them bring that to market. You, you touched on something that I, that comes back to the regulations again. You, you said a reg D and you said it's a 12 month holding period. Um, let's start, let's start with the regulations a little bit and where they fit in or don't fit in or where, where some of the friction points might be. So let's, I'm an existing and I'm going to point this to, uh, to Tyler and then, to Laura. So I'm an existing uh, shareholder and I'm, and I invested in a reg D. A re my understanding from the reg D perspective is um, the information associated with what my rights are as an investor in that reg D are varied as, as, as every individual company. So after this 12 month window, it doesn't just arbitrarily gives me this ability to have a liquidity event. Is that, would that be correct? Or maybe you can give me some more insight into that from a legal perspective. Sure, Peter. Yeah. So the, the Reg D regulation uh, has a 506C is, is one flavor and then 506B is another. Um, generally, we're talking about 506C, which is what most capital is raised under because that allows you to generally solicit investors. Um, with a 506B, you can accept up to 35 non-accredited investors, but it doesn't allow you to advertise. So it's much less useful. Uh, for most capital raisers, especially in the real estate context. Um, so, so with respect to, to 506C, um, you can raise an unlimited amount of money from, from investor, from accredited investors, generally solicit. And your lockup restriction under Reg D is going to be 12 months. Um, there's an opportunity to trade that accredited investor to accredited investor uh, more quickly under uh, Rule 4A7. Uh, the FAST Act, but there are some additional requirements to be met. Um, but generally, when we're talking about the liquidity event, we're talking about the expiration of that 12-month lockup and a sale from the primary purchaser to a secondary purchaser. And okay. so um, with many, many of these solutions and, and exchanges that are coming online, they're offering that opportunity, that marketplace uh, for those primary purchasers and secondary purchasers to transact. Okay, so... You mentioned like, and we'll focus a bit on the reg D. So I, I hear that a lot. And Laura, we've had conversations about when it comes to a reg D, um, okay, after 12 months, I can trade. Let's, let's make the assumption that all the articles associated with that reg D is equitable and everybody can, can trade those shares. Um, but where do I trade them? Maybe this is focus more on Richard because the, you're on the ATS side of it. So where do I trade them and, and what does that look like? And what are my limitations under the different regulations? So I've got, uh, we're going to talk about a 506C and a Reg D right now. Yeah, well, it's a regulatory requirement to trade them, to trade securities. Well, you can trade them kind of, there, there's a few kind of exemptions within the, the real estate space where members of, a, of an LLC can trade membership interests between them. Um, but if you want to reach a broader market, you generally need to go through uh, an ATS, which is operated by a regulated broker dealer, such as such as Texture Capital, 
we're regulated by FINRA. We have an ATS, which stands for Alternative Trading System. Um, it's actually, you know, the, the, the Reg ATS, which kind of, uh, um, you know, gave birth to, to uh, ATS is as part of the Exchange Act. So an ATS is similar to Exchange, but it's a lower, it's a lower threshold uh, to qualify for it. So, yeah, that, that's kind of, that's our goal at Texture and many others in the space is to provide liquidity on the platform, um, matching so that, you know, you know, you know people who purchase these securities in the primary offering, you know, if they want to have some liquidity, if they want to, you know, you know sell the security after a period of time, then they can find buyer, you know, other potential buyers and sell to them on our platform. And I think we find a general advantage. What we often hear from folks is that certainly from, from issuers, even if it's a reg D and even if there's not going to be any liquidity for a year, the issuer likes to be able to say that because it helps them get primary investments. So, so for example, they want to, they might have an investor who wants to invest, but their kids are going to college in a few years. Or, or something like that, or maybe there's a life event, and they want to be able to have some kind of liquidity option in case, it, you know, in the event that something comes up. So we're able to provide that for a lot of these firms. Okay. Um, yeah. So Okay, so what I'm hearing is then the liquidity side of it, I can put my shares up from a layman's perspective. Um, I invested in a Reg D, I'm an accredited investor, and I can sell them to other accredited investors, or at least make them available. Now, who makes that decision? Is it the company making the decision or can I just randomly say, hey, I, I own a, some shares? So maybe walk us through that process a little bit, um, whether it's a Reg D or Reg A or Reg, or Reg CF for that matter. Yeah, in, pri well, in private markets, um, uh, you know, I'll just jump in here. In private markets, typically the issuer or the, uh, the GP or whatever the structure is would need to approve any secondary transactions. So you can't just have trades necessarily going, going off without their consent. The issuer, generally speaking, needs to be involved. If it's a registered offering, that's not the case. But I don't know if anyone else wants to chime in on that. Yeah, and I mean, typically, you know, platforms that are allowing these trades, they want uh, a legal opinion stating that, okay, the season, the securities have seasoned, the lockup restriction uh, no longer applies. And now these particular investors who have held since their, their purchase date more than 12 months ago can now trade legally on the platform. And so that that's one of the the items that that we assist with is rendering that opinion at 12 months after the, the purchase date for each of those those investors. So that's the you know, the GP or the issuer uh, authorization at that point for them to go trade. Typically, we're stripping out a lot of those restrictions that are traditionally baked into those operating agreements or limited partnership agreements. You know, there's very standard language in, in many templates that say, you know, the GP uh, has a has a right to to deny or will, will request an opinion of counsel from the individual investor before allowing any any tokens or, or shares to trade. And with tokenization, you know, it's really beneficial to to strip those out from from the onset um, and to make that a much more smooth transition once the tokens are are able to be traded on a secondary market. Okay, so, so legal is that? Go ahead, Laura. No, no, sorry, I didn't mean to jump in. Go ahead. Oh, <laughs> uh, I was going to say, so it's absolutely critical that at, at different junctures, um, you mentioned lockout period on a Reg D, for example, that you need the advice of that lawyer. It's not, and I think this is where some of the nebulous viewpoints come in from the, the public at large, where they go, hey, I've tokenized this and I can immediately do something with it. Um, but there's a lot of other factors that come into play. One from a legal, a, a legal perspective, 
um, as well as what the intent of the original issuer was. So it's not as easy as just saying, I think a lot of people cross over or muddy the waters when it comes to, oh, the ICO world or an NFT world. Oh, I bought this and I just, I just go out there and do that. We're talking about securities here. So if we're talking about securities here and I'm going to go into, I'm a real estate developer and I touch on you, Laura, on this one. So I'm a real estate developer or I have an existing real estate property and I want to basically securitize it in essence. I want to turn it into security, fractionalize that because part of this conversation is fractionalization. Um, what's my jumping off point? Do I choose the regulation? Do I choose my valuation? Um, no, you, you know, I just wanted to kind of follow up on what um, what we were talking about, and this is, you know, to this question as well, is that the idea behind um, the option of liquidity, right? If I can raise unlimited amount of capital under a Reg D and I raise, I don't know, $100 million, right, from 10 investors that, that put $10 million into my offering, Right. And how much liquidity am I going to be able to give them on the back end? Right. If one of those investors decides to trade out of their $10 million and they go to an ATS and they trade and they bring in another, I don't know, 1,500, 1,800 new investors onto the cap table, how much liquidity do those other investors have that brought in the $10 million? Right. They, they, you really don't have that the uh, the unlimited number right for them to actually have the option of liquidity you can only have two thousand on your table right isn't that kind of where you were we're going with that yeah so where does that limitation come in and, and maybe you know at least being aware of where the regulations fall in and maybe tyler and richard you can chime in on that so if i just look at the pure math of it eventually if i'm limited to two thousand before i'm fully reporting or, or can I restructure it down the road, but at least be aware of it up front? Right. Yeah, and that, that regulation, I can jump in on that. The, the regu that regulation comes in under the Exchange Act, Rule 12G. And right, it is a limitation. Um, you Unless you want to become a reporting company, uh, the rule is if you have more than 2,000 investors and 10 million in assets, um, then you're going to have to become a reporting company. And so um, companies have to make that decision very, very early on when they're um, deciding on their metrics. What is my minimum investment amount? How many investors am I going to accept? Um, all of those decisions are very important at an early stage. Um, and that's, that's really a reg D consideration um, that you need to address at the outset. So, so no, I think that's, that's a really salient point. And I think historically, when I talk to, to clients, when it comes to things like reg D, the comments are, oh, I'm never going to have 2000 shareholders. Well, it kind of defeats the purpose if you're going to tokenize an asset and they're going to break it down to pieces and you're going to break it down to pieces. Um, it's, 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 I think it just merits, you know, a big consideration up front. There's, there's significant benefits for a Reg D um, if you have an accredited investor pool. Um, but if you're just going to do marketing to the accredited investor and have no market awareness, which is kind of the next sec segment we're going to talk about, um, you may want to look at some alternative regulations from the onset, perhaps. And when I look at something more sophisticated, like a reg A plus offering, um, okay, I may be limited for my 12 months on, uh, on that reg A to $75 million, but I can have unlimited accredited, non-accredited investors. So 
Richard, what are your thoughts on that as a broker dealer? Are we starting to see a little bit more of companies starting to go? Um, let's take a look at the Reg A because because of the variety of liquidity options that it affords, ATS and other. Yeah, I think the Reg A is, is a much more interesting space um, because of the, the, the greater number of shareholders you can have. Um, you can have you know as, as many retail investors as you like. You, you can still raise up to seventy five million in a year, which is a good amount. Um, and there's no holding period, so there's a lot of lot of pluses for that um, Reg A plus. Um, the, the downside is, or the flip side of that is, is that it's more expensive. Um, you need to pay excellent lawyers like Tyler to get yourself qualified with the SEC, and it can take you know something like six months or so to do it. But if you're if if you have a product that you think is going to have broader reach, um, and you think you can access, and and not to mention that there's, you need to have a marketing campaign around it. But if you think you have that type of product or that type of platform, then um, you know th that's a, definitely something you should consider, and it's something we're seeing a lot more of. Because oh, yeah. With you, Peter, at Coconuts. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of companies in the real estate taking advantage of a Reg A. It's it, it, as simple as that. They're looking at the Reg A, and they may be. And I remind me to touch. I want to do want to touch on like Series LLCs, for example, even on the real estate side of the equation. But uh, they're taking advantage of. But one of the comments that I just want to make to the audience is there's a lot of moving parts here and very often i we get approached from in you know we're the technology kind of linchpin where we're the hub and spoke where we have to connect and engage with the broker dealers engage with the lawyers engage with escrow providers engage with the sec engage with the payment rails so we get a, a high level broad understanding but one of the things that that we find that many issuers start to miss is who's going to manage all this so internally they have to take these considerations and um, I bring that up because Laura, you kind of quarterback a lot of these things right now. And what's some of the conversations that you're having when it comes to that? So let's say I want to do a reggae offering. Um, I mentioned a, a number of the intermediaries associated with that. Um, where does a quarterback come in um, to assist an issuer, for example? Yeah, I mean, we're seeing a huge need in the space right now for those that don't really know where to start or how to get through that process. And you know, we start with, um, you know, just going through budget, right? What's what's this going to cost? What does the budget look like? And we'll run a line item budget for the client and we'll have the conversation of what type of, you know, what's the long term goal? Where, what is the plan for the company? Um, you know, what type of investors are you targeting, et cetera? And we'll try to figure out what what makes sense partner them with the right attorneys, right? Well, blockchain is an excellent attorney, an excellent firm as well. And we um, walk them, you know, we kind of partner them with them. We'll have the conversations. We'll be there to help guide and assist. Um, there's many partners that are involved in a security token offering, um, especially if they're raising capital for real estate. So there's the technology, right? Core Connects has this amazing platform that will help manage the cap table. They'll help um, automate a lot of the processes, automate distrib you know, distributions and, and um, uh, the communications with investors. Um, we talk about how, why it's important to work with the right marketing firm, right? We're not marketing real estate. 
marketing securities. We're talking about, you know, jurisdictional compliance and uh, those kinds of things, um, custodian, custodial compliance. So there's all these pieces of the puzzle that need to be put together. And we try to make sure that the client understands that this is a this is a marathon. It's not a sprint, right? We, yes, we want to raise capital and we want to do that quickly, but we have to do it compliantly. And here's how we're going to do it. And we walk them through step by step. No, I think you hit on, you hit on a lot of a lot of points there. So it really takes a team. I mean, um, again, from you mentioned the lawyer, you mentioned you know from a preparation, and from that standpoint, Tyler, if what's been your experience with if if a company jumps off on the wrong foot and says, oh, I thought coulda, shoulda, woulda, I decided to do this regulation, um, but I didn't think that the fact that okay, I did my filing and it cost me you know, 50 to $75,000 in a reg A for that fair assessment. Um, and, but I didn't consider that it's going to cost me X amount of dollars in marketing, for example. Um, what are your takeaways? You get clients coming back to you, you know, you're the, you're the lawyer, you're the guy that, that's saying that it's starting that journey and saying, why didn't you tell me that there's all these other moving parts or is it just, Hey, I did the legal filing and, and that's it. No, I think it's an excellent point, Peter, because we do act a bit as gatekeepers in that respect. Um, in that we, you know, there, there's no benefit to sending a client through that process and, and getting halfway down the road and realizing there's all kinds of unexpected forthcoming. Um, and so, what we do in the early stages of the process is really work to identify those hurdles um, and then to 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 define how we're going to address them and to make sure that. The regulatory path chosen is the one that makes the most sense. And even with tokenization, you know, there is a half measure that we sometimes recommend to clients. You don't need to tokenize immediately. Obviously, you have 12 months until the lock. If we're talking about a Reg D offering, you have 12 months until that lockup is going to expire. And so um, you have an opportunity to leave the door open for tokenization in your documents. Um, while not necessarily tokenizing at the outset. And so maybe 12 months down the road or, or six months down the road, you decide we definitely do want to tokenize. Our investors have appetite. They're looking for liquidity. The raise went really well. And, and now we're positioned for uh, tokenization. And so that's an option as well that we talk through with clients. Um, and I, I just want to say, I think, you know, it, this can sound a bit daunting, but at least from a legal perspective, much of what we're talking about our exercises that we go through with clients, whether it's a traditional raise or, or a digital security raise. Um, so it's not necessarily to say that it's going to be so much extra legal work. It's just there's an added stress on the regulations that affect the liquidity of, of the investor base. Thank you for that. Uh, so I've gone, I'm going through this journey. I've got my lawyer. I'm doing the, I'm doing a reg A offering. Um, we see a lot of different structure. Like I may see a company in the real estate space that's saying we're acquiring assets. So at the highest level, the, the company's going and we're going to pay dividends. So from course perspective, um, we're managing the capital, managing the shareholders, but everything's digitized right from the onset. Um, if a company wants to have a liquidation event, and, and what I'm referring back to there is a company might be a company that says, I'm going to buy real estate in the sector. We're going to manage the properties. Once we manage those properties, we're going to we're going to pay dividends. So there's an example of somebody saying I'm going to do a reg A offering and, and the purpose of I want and we want to attract investors that are interested in the dividend payouts. 
But further down the road, these, a company like that might say, hey, we want to have a large liquidity event and I want to, what are my options? What do I want to do? We, we want to sell off the assets. We don't want to sell the company and, uh, or we want greater flexibility or I want the shareholders, the ability to at least liquidate their assets, even if we have perform, uh, performance dividend payouts. Um, and I want to go to an ATS. So to you, Richard, because we get a lot of accounts like this right now. And I'm going, okay, they're already, as far as we're concerned, um, they're, they're already on a blockchain. I mean, they're in essence, these securities are tokenized. It's just a matter of moving them to an ATS. What's that process look like, Richard? Um, company says, now I want secondary trading. Well, if they're already working with you, Peter, at Core Connects, um, and we already have an integration, it's going to be very straightforward. I, 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 set, I set everybody up on that one a little bit because it's early in the game. It's still early in the scene of the game when it comes to secondary trading. But, I, but, but from your perspective, I mean, I wanted to, we hand it off, so to speak. Technology hands off information flow from part A, part a to part B, and part B happens to be an ATS. And, um, but what is but what does that look like? What is what are the what is the issue we have to go through? Okay, I want to do this, and what are the downsides, and 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 what are the expectations that are realistic? Yeah, well, they they need a couple of things. They've already issued, and then later down the road, they want to to tokenize perhaps after the one year holding period. Um, they need a couple of things. They need to work with a partner who help them issue the tokens, and maybe they'll work with you know Laura gives some advice on what blockchain to use or what partners to work with. Um, and, they'll need de and they'll definitely need a transfer agent as well. Um, Core Connects is, is a transfer agent, and you know, they do, do both those functions, in fact. Um, that's the main things that they need to do. We can work with them as well and kind of guide them through the process. Essentially, the transfer agent will look to kind of, if they didn't have one already, you know, uh, 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 you know, take that cap table and put it into kind of blockchain format. We would need to integrate with the transfer agent from our point of view. So, for example, we need to make sure that if somebody wants to sell a, a trade, what we do is we, um, you know, we look at we we open an account for them first of all. All all the buyers and sellers need to have accounts with with Texas Capital, so we need to do KYC, etc. But once they enter, uh, if a seller enters a trade order, what we'll do then we'll go we'll we'll read the, the blockchain via the integration that we have to make sure they have the share they want to sell, and then uh, um, that's entered into the ATS if there's a match. What we do then is we communicate to the transfer agent and the cash custodians to make sure that the, the securities and the uh, and the tokens are moved after and the cash is moved after the trade. Okay, and at the end of the day, the cap table is updated with the new shareholders associated with that trade, and the trades are all done in real time. I've got a question here that that from the audience here, and I just throw that at the panel here. Um, I assume discussion of tokenization you include all aspects of smart contracts what terms or conditions cannot be included in such a smart contract? Question's a little bit how long is a piece of string, I think, but um, does anyone who want to jump in that, Tyler? Yeah, so the, the smart contract in this context is mainly going to govern um, who can purchase the token. And so you might have uh, res jurisdictional restrictions. Um, you might have accreditation restrictions. And so in the securities context, those are, those are primarily... Um, the terms that are going to be baked into uh, the smart contract restrictions. In other contexts, there's there's lots you can can do with smart contracts, um, lots with that you can do with with NFTs and IP rights and licensing and things like that. And so that opens up a bit of a can of worms that's kind of separate from 
from uh, the talk today, but it's it's certainly a good question because smart contracts are are so flexible and diverse. Okay, th thanks for that. I hope <clears throat> again it comes back down to the the term tokenization has a variety of meanings. I mean, at the end of the day, from a securities perspective, we have a smart contract that's tied to to a security versus. Um, other types of immutable ledgers that are smart contracts between a variety of parties. Um, something that came up yesterday that, I mean, if we had a crystal ball, we're looking into the future because it's, it involves a lot of, a uh, lot of jurisdictions when it comes to land titles. Um, the one thing I think that a lot of people need to realize is that there's a big friction point today when it comes to, I've got an existing real estate asset. I want to tokenize that asset. Um, and I don't want to get in the securities world. I know that Germany is doing some interesting things in the tokenization space for that purpose. Um, but how do we, what do you, what do you foresee in the future? Like how do it does land titles or is it too bureaucratic and in, in, in the near future get, um, tokenized slash digitized slash smart contracts orientated. Any thoughts in this regard? I mean, I, I would, I hope so. Right. I think you know, in the U S there's a 3,033 counties and they all do things different. So I think that has to be streamlined first and we need to figure out how that, uh, how we can all kind of get on the same page with how that happens. And then, then we can, you know, move into mass adoption on tokenizing and transferring product through tokenization, NFTs, et cetera. But, Right now, it's it is a very long road, I think, for that in this country, anyway. So I, I tend to agree with that. I think it's really important for the audience to say if there's these significant friction points today. I mean, things evolve, things change, and all of a sudden there there, there is a there can be a major pendulum shift. But it sounds like taking a look at the regulations that exist today, such as. I'm a fan of Reg A because it's probably the most flexible open regulation that existed. Um, Tyler's probably a fan of it because it's the most, it, because it's a sophisticated offering and it certain benefits the, the legal community, but the, but it does benefit the issuer if they go into it with an open mind and really understand um, what's involved with that. Um, it sounds like that's, if you want to, if you want to tokenize real estate, take a hard look at a Reg A plus offering with, I, I'm not here. I have no benefits in, from that perspective other than just to say uh, or get your guys' thoughts on that. Yeah. I think, can we dig in a bit more on the series LLCs? Because I think that's an important part of the fractionalization. And I know we've only got a few minutes left here. Yes. Um, that's, you know, just to say that we're seeing a lot of that right now. Um, and what a series LLC is, is essentially it's a legal structure where, for example, in the real estate space, um, a, a real estate sponsor could offer many different assets, many different properties under the same kind of reggae filing. Um, and then, so each of these, they're individually LLCs. Each LLC can be tokenized. And what we're seeing a lot of is, is you know, folks in the real estate space creating marketplaces where investors can come in, retail investors, because it's a reggae offering, and pick and choose, you know, I'm going to put, you know, $1,000 into, you know, one, two, three Main Street and maybe $550 into, uh, you know, 424 High Street or something like that and be able to build their portfolio of real estate assets on a fractionalized basis and get exposure to different types of properties, different locations. 
And we're seeing lots of very interesting stru structures there as well. Like you, you have multifamily or commercial or home equity investments, the exciting project we're working on right now. So we think that's a big growth area. Um, and, you know, that's something we're partnering with you guys on. We're, we're, no, we're seeing a lot of that. And, and I, I don't know if, Laura, you're seeing a lot of you're seeing a lot of um, uh, a lot of companies that are in the real estate space. But it's not just the large project to say, hey, I'm going to do I need it. I have a $300 million project. It's smaller companies saying, hey, I'm really, I'm an expert in residential real estate and I am going to do a series LLC and yeah. do asset acquisition in multiple properties and allow participation from multiple individuals with small pieces that really couldn't participate before. And that's the most wonderful thing I love about not just the series LLC, but the reggae in general. I mean, I can individuals i think are going to start to say to the investment community you have the ability to your kids for example to say hey you want to own a small piece of a house you have that ability to start that journey and build up your own portfolio so yeah thanks for that richard because the series llc we're seeing a lot of that in a variety of different categories um, and that's where the reggae plus it really really affords a lot of different opportunities um, laura are you seeing get more inquiries in that regard yeah, definitely. I mean, we're doing a lot of education on that right now. Um, as you know, the majority of of uh, the offerings that are being done in real estate are under Reg D. So, you know, we start talking about other op options, and you know, they, you know, it's it's a, it's a process trying to educate. But there's a lot of interest around it when they realize, you know, what could what the potential is. And I really truly believe that that there is going to come time soon when investors start to figure out what their options are, that they're going to ask the owner, the issuer, you know, is this tokenized? Is this, do I have the option of liquidity uh, if I invest in your real estate project? And that's going to be something that is going to be really important to be able to say yes to. No, I, I think it's an excellent point. Um, I think we're gonna we're we're getting into our final minute here. Any final takeaways from the panel here? I think it's it's been insightful, and um, I want to just make a comment that uh, all of the um, information on each panel member here, from Richard to Laura to Tyler, is posted on the website, and should feel free to reach out to them individually. Should you guys have any questions? Um, anything else? Closing comments. I just want to say thank you for, you know, everything that Core Connects is doing, always educating, leading the space, always trying to, you know, enforce and, and um, make aware how important compliance and regulation and all of those things are. So I, I really do appreciate what you guys are doing. So thank you for that. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Education is key. It's still early. Was that Richard there? I was just here, here, I said. Uh, ah, no, I appreciate it. It is education. Look, it's, um, some people said, you know, where are these regulations at? Where's the ATS is? You know, where are the legal changes? Where's the regulation changes? What's going on in the future? Um, and, you know, I thought we were on first base and a lot of people still believe the stadium's just being built. So there's a lot of opportunities for the future. Um, I think, uh, again, education is absolutely, key, you know, key. Um, closing out, I see a comment here and it, it's, you know, I thought blockchain was supposed to be trust, you know, uh, a trustless, but now we have intermediaries. We live in a world of regulations and we live in a world in compliance today. Whether we like it or not, we only complain about the regulations 
when they appear to get in our way. But then we ask for the regulations when I'm unregulated and I may have uh, unfortunately been uh, taken advantage of. So, I mean, it's, there's two sides to the coin and uh, I think the future holds well for the regulations. Um, hey, I'd like to have no regulations and the entire planet is uh, all trustworthy, but unfortunately we don't live in that world. So again, uh, thank you to our panel. And now we're gonna jump into the next se session for those that are with me and uh, to say, okay, I've done the regulations. I, I understand the regulations. I've got my team put together to move forward. And now I've got a little bit of heavy lifting. It's called the marketing side of it. So um, for those of us watching right now, I invite you to join us for the next session. And uh, again, thank you all. I really, really appreciate the time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.